Up next, Rob Smith is problematic, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. The power play that Democrats are making right now is the big one. It is the one that will give them what they desperately want, which is the power that will come with having complete federal control over our electoral process. Make no mistake, this is the hill they will die on. This is their last stand, and it's up to all of us to resist their lies and manipulation and to learn the truth. This is Rob Smith is Problematic. I want to clue all of you in on a theory that uh, I have about what is going on with the left right now, why the left uh, is basically lying to our faces, why everything seems so crazy right now. And my theory is this, that 2020 was it for them. In 2020, it was their last opportunity, really, to truly grab hold of power. They used the coronavirus pandemic to do so. They pushed a lot of fear about coronavirus. They pushed people inside. They destroyed the economy. And by the way, they were overturning voting rules in in some state legislatures to make room for mass mail-in voting. So this is all of the things that happened in 2020. You know, we had gotta love Trump. I voted for him, but he took the bait at every turn from arguing with nobody journalists to doing everything else. And while Trump and the administration was doing all of that stuff, the people on the left were greasing the wheels for mass mail-in voting. And by the way, a lot of the laws that were changed for the coronavirus pandemic when it comes to mass mail-in voting, some of these things are just going to be the way we do elections from here on out. So that stuff has changed, right? But this was it for them. And I believe, and I I truly believe in from the bottom of my heart, that the left is about to be out of power for a very, very long time. I believe that they will be out of power for a decade, if not more, depending on how 2024 goes. I have my own ideas about what should and should not happen in 2024, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I think that right now the left is about to be out of power for a very long time. That said, I think that they are aware of this. I think that Democrats on the left are aware of the fact that they are about to be out of power and in the wilderness for a very long time. These people are not stupid. So this is the impetus behind all of this pushing for quote-unquote voting rights, to expand voting rights, to call any sort of election integrity and security measures racist, to say that it's the new Jim Crow. These are the talking points, and this is what they will push, because this is it. This is the last moment, I believe, like I said, for the next decade, starting in 2022, that these people will be in power, and they are trying to grab a hold of power to the highest extent that they possibly can. That is what all of this election integrity stuff is about, right? As everyone knows, there is a group of Texas Democrats, Texas state Democrats, is making a lot of news for leaving the state in protest of the new quote-unquote voting restrictions. So when you hear these people talk on, on social media, and when you see them do their interviews, and when you read their tweets, they talk about these 
laws, these election integrity laws that are being passed in Texas, as if they were literally locking black people inside and stopping them from voting. And I want you to listen to, this is how they sound um, when they're speaking about what they're doing. And by the way, um, you know, I can ridicule what they're doing. There's, there's been a lot of that. You know, look, they're, they're flying on a private uh, plane with, uh, you know, Miller Lite, a case of Miller Lite in the backseat. And these people, there's this one idiot that tweeted, he said, oh, this is my first meal as a fugitive, and it's some sad-looking Caesar salad in, in a Diet Coke. So so this, these are the Mensa members, you know, we're <laughs> dealing with, folks. And I want to play to you, this is how they sound when they're talking about this stuff before they break into um, just some really, really bad singing. But I want you to listen to this, because this is how they speak of this issue. Standing there when a new Voting Rights Act for this century is there, and the rights that were struggled, that so many lives were taken, so much courage was demonstrated, are preserved once again. I turn it back over to you for the questions, and uh, thank you very much for all that you and all of your colleagues are doing here today. Thank you. We will overcome. We will overcome. We will overcome. Thank you, Miss T. I am so sorry that I had to do that to all of you, but you really have to understand what we're dealing with here. So they will speak about, you know, these voting laws, these new voting laws that are being put forth in um, in Texas. And by the way, if you're paying attention, the Supreme Court just upheld similar laws that were passed in Arizona. And so this is how they speak of this. They speak of these these voting laws in terms of Jim Crow. They are trying to stop black people from voting. They are trying to make it harder to vote. They are trying to repress, repress, repress. So I I thought it would be a really good idea to take a look at, at what these laws in particular, these election integrity measures in Texas do, actually do. And I I stumbled across a thread from Dan Crenshaw. He's our our great congressman from Texas. I think he represents a district um, in and around Houston. And he did a very long thread on this. And I really want to read you exactly what it is that these laws do. This is exactly what the left is saying right now is the quote-unquote new Jim Crow. So this is what these laws do. Number one, bans paid ballot harvesting, the practice of gathering and submitting complete absentee or mail-in voter ballots by third-party individuals, volunteers, or party workers, rather than submission by voters themselves directly to ballot collection sites. So what ballot harvesting is, in, in less technical terms, and you will see this a lot, there was a scandal with Alan Omar in, in her district where there was a lot of ballot harvesting. So people that are basically political activists that are advocating for a specific candidate will go to places like, uh, they'll go to housing projects, they'll go to senior citizen centers, stuff like that, um, and sometimes they'll go to door-to-door, and they'll say, oh, I have this absentee ballot, Um, you know, can you fill this out? And then I will take it back to the polling place, et cetera, et cetera. Some places, and this this video is out there, you can look it up. These people will actually fill these things out for for a lot of these people. And some of them, in in case of the Ilhan Omar case, they were being given gift cards, they were being given all kinds of stuff, you know, in order for these people to put out their ballots in the way that they see fit. So this is what's called ballot harvesting. Democrats do this a lot all across America. So this bans ballot harvesting in this way, right? 
requires voter ID verification for mail-in ballots in line with in-person voting. Voters can also provide the last four digits of their social security number if they don't have a driver's license. So what we're saying right now is that we are literally just asking for ID for people that are doing uh, mail-in ballots. And so these are mail-in ballots and absentee. 80% of Americans support voter ID laws. What the left doesn't want to tell you because the truth does not back up their talking points is that the vast majority of Americans of all colors support voter ID for voting. They support that. The vast majority of Americans do. So the idea that voter ID is some sort of right-wing talking point, it's some sort of idea that Republicans have come up with because black people are, you know, again, too stupid to get a, a voter ID, you know, this is false. Number three, this law sets uniform voting times for early voting to reduce confusion while expanding hours on the weekend. Yeah, you know, some voter suppression this is ensures accountability at the polls by allowing poll watchers to observe election workers, improving transparency and confidence in the results. Requires those assisting voters with filling out their ballots, again, this is in line with the ballot harvesting, to complete a form verifying their identity and to take an oath stating that they will not try to influence a voter one way or another. This is very important. And then, this is very important, this this last point right here ends the temporary emergency measures that were put in place solely because of the pandemic, like drive-through voting and 24-hour early voting. These options never existed before the pandemic, even though Democrats want you to believe that we are ending a long-standing practice. And this is something that's crucial. Remember when I said earlier, there are so many laws that were put in place by, you know, emergency measures during the pandemic because everybody was, you know, so scared. Oh, you know, we have to mail in our ballots. We have to, you know, go to drop boxes, all of this stuff. This stuff is very, very new. And in some states that were not fighting this stuff, now a lot of these things are law. When you look at Georgia, we were talking about Georgia a couple of months ago, right? So the big uproar with these election integrity measures in Georgia The state of Georgia actually allowed some of this stuff that was pushed through because of the pandemic, like the drive-in voting, um, the drive-through voting, and the 24-hour voting. Georgia actually allowed some of this stuff to slide. They restricted it a little bit, but they're still allowing it to exist when they could have just banned it outright. So that's already an erosion in the way that we do our elections, and that was purely because of the coronavirus pandemic. And so that is what's going on here. And that is the main point of everything that is going on right now. What Democrats want to do, and look, like I said, I know that I have a lot of listeners and and followers that are independents, left, right, whatever. I'm on the side always of common sense. And this stuff is not common sense. This is hardcore politics. And you know the Democrats like to play hardcore politics because let me let me tell you something. I've said this before. Democrats play to win. They do not care what Republicans say about them. Now, when Republicans are in power, they care about what the left is saying about them. They care about what Hollywood celebrities are saying about them. They care about all of that stuff. So the left controls what Republicans do when Republicans are in power. But when the left is in power, 
they want to use it and they want to wield it. So it's actually a step forward right now that we are even having the conversation because Governor Abbott in Texas is standing strong with this. Georgia was standing strong against what they did for for election integrity. Arizona, they took it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Arizona won. We will see measures like this in states all across the country, and we need measures like this all across the country. And to give you an idea of how politically motivated this really is, a lot of these laws aren't even as strict as the laws that exist nowadays in Delaware. This is Joe Biden's home state. But then again, Democrats don't really need votes in Delaware, so they're not really sounding the quote the alarm about all of this quote-unquote Jim Crow that is going on. So I broke this down for you to understand exactly what the Democrats are doing here. They need to change the conversation about what election integrity means, and also there are still there still remain a lot of questions about the election that just happened in 2020. And so they have all their minions in the mainstream media and CNN and everywhere else saying that, you know, you cannot say this. They call it the big lie, capital B, capital L, and you cannot even ask questions about this. It is settled, says the Washington Post, says CNN, says MSNBC. So Democrats have a very hard time winning elections, right? Most people are not here for a lot of the things that they're pushing right now, and I'll get into a little bit more of that in the next segment. So the only thing they can do is change the cultural conversation and change people's language. These people are masters at changing language. So when they talk about voting rights, they talk about expanding voting rights, And I have said this before, like I said, and this bears repeating that right now in the far left corners of people that are actually elected congressmen and women, I'm talking about Mondaire Jones and Cori Bush, are actually pushing right now for an amendment to this For the People Act, which is the basically the, the nationalization of elections that the Democrats are pushing right now. They are basically using black people to push this so that they can grease the wheels to allow illegal immigrants to vote freely. That's, that's what they want. But there are some people in the corners of the far left right now that are elected officials that are pushing for amendments to this act that is already super far left, and they want people that are currently incarcerated prisoners with felony convictions to be able to vote. So this is what they want. This is the Democrats' last stand. This is it, folks. These people are about to be out of power for a very long time, and they will do anything they possibly can to push their agenda through. They will tell you that election integrity, that election security... That making sure that we have free and fair elections amounts to Jim Crow laws, amounts to voter suppression. They will use their black puppets in elected office to push the idea that any sort of election integrity laws are anti-black or are engaging in voter suppression against African Americans. This is a lie. They are using black people to push this stuff. And by the time the vast majority of black Democrats get it, by the time they get that they have been used to grease the wheels for illegal immigration, it will be too late because the Democrats will have already gotten what they wanted and they will move on. So the next time you hear a Democrat 
talk about, you know, these election integrity measures as some sort of new Jim Crow. The next time that you see a group of Texas Democrats or a group of Democrats in general, state legislators, pull a stunt like this, because you better believe there will be more. This is a coordinated effort. There is no way that, you know, private jets, Miller Lite, even bad Caesar salads, there's this stuff is, is very highly coordinated. And this stuff comes from the top. This is the first of many stunts you will see over the next, I would say, year to, to three years, right? Not to mention what's going to happen in 2024. The Democrats are about to be out of power and in the wilderness for a very long time. This is their last stand. These lies are their last stand. What they are pushing is their last stand. And the rebranding of election integrity measures as voter suppression is their final talking point. I am just telling you because you have to be aware of exactly what these people are doing. And the only way it can be stopped is if conservatives, Republicans, people that are either in elected office or have platforms speak openly and honestly about the truth about all of this stuff in whatever platforms we have. Because we cannot let the Democrats take over this narrative. Now, Think back to what happened in Georgia. They pressured all of these people. You know, remember, they were pressuring um, the MLB. They moved the All-Star game from Georgia to Colorado, right? Remember all that. So they, they, they won, quote-unquote, right? They won in the court of public opinion, but they lost because that loss still passed through in Georgia because Georgia stood their ground. Texas has to stand their ground. Arizona has to stand their ground. There will be more states that push for these election integrity measures, and these stunts— that are being pulled by the Texas Democrats right now, this is only the beginning of it. The only way you can fight it is to keep on standing up, keep on losing your voice, and stop letting these people lie to you because they think that you are stupid. Because you're not. Up next, a Washington Examiner piece is suggesting that Democrats are set to lose the House in 2022 for a variety of reasons, and I'm going to tell you what they are right after the break. I stumbled upon this very interesting Washington Examiner piece. Washington Examiner, I actually, I, I really like. They're becoming, you know, quite the destination for really good op-eds, really good reporting, just really good opinion pieces. And this latest piece is suggesting, like I said, that Democrats are set to lose the House in 2022. And it really did a good job at breaking down sort of the four main reasons that, that Democrats are set to lose the House, the four main reasons that I think personally that they are losing support from their base, but also from independents. You have to realize when we're talking about 2020 and we're talking about that election, there are a lot of people that voted for Trump that went for Biden. That's just the real, that's the real team. There's a lot of people that did that. And a lot of people that went for Trump that voted for Biden are independents. And they just thought that things were going to be, quote unquote, quieter without all of the Trump drama. And they're right. Things are quieter, but also America is fundamentally worse off right now than we were when Trump left office. And that is an objective fact in every major way that you can sort of gauge the health of a country. The health of our country at this point right now is lower than it was when Donald Trump was president. 
And a lot of these issues that the, the examiner brought up in this piece are a lot of the reasons why Democrats are going to lose in 2022. This is what I truly believe. Like I told you in the last segment, these people are going to be out of power for a very long time. And the first one is rising crime. And I've spoken about this lately a lot because it is a very real issue. There is no mistake that crime is up in nearly every major city. This is a result of the defund the police rhetoric that has actually been put into action in many cities, all of which are run by Democrats. And I've got some statistics for you. And these are statistics, homicide statistics. And these are... From Fox News, They're, they have a research desk. I used to produce at Fox News. This is real news. They have a research team that does this stuff. If you're a journalist and you're working at Fox News, you have a lot of resources. So this is looking at big city homicides year to date. Albuquerque, New Mexico, homicides up 120%. Atlanta, up 45%. LA, up 25%. And Nashville, up 47%, and Portland homicides are up 533%. These are some insane numbers. And what is going on right now, and I wish that I would have thought to, to get this up, but I didn't do it because it just now came to me. What is going on right now is the Democrats are trying to back away from the defund the police rhetoric that they spent um, you know, basically two years putting into the brains of, of their brain dead base. This is what they spent from 2018 until now pushing the fact that we have to defund the police, the fact that police are bad and evil. And even before we saw the BLM riots in the summer of 2020, when actual people were killed, um, including retired police officer David Dorn, who was killed, you know, pulling security in St. Louis during the riots. So we started to see the results of all of this defund the police rhetoric. At first, before 2020, we saw it in the videos that were coming out of Twitter, coming from major cities, with people acting with outright disrespect of police officers, um, shooting them with water guns, throwing water balloons at them, driving them out of neighborhoods, stuff like that. But this stuff is inexplicably, rising crime and defund the police rhetoric in this narrative is inextricably woven into the Democrat narrative. So once that box is opened, it can't be closed again. And a lot of mainstream Democrats, the ones that are that are not as crazy as the AOCs of the world, they're trying to kind of put that lid back on the box, but it's not working. Even James Clyburn did a um, an interview, and this is the SOT that I was talking about. He did this interview with um, some far-left um, journalists on um, uh, the Peacock Network, uh, it, NBC streaming network, um, Mehdi Hassan. And he basically said that, and this is James Clyburn saying that I keep telling these people to stop saying defund the police. I keep telling them to stop saying this. I keep telling them that this is hurting us, but they do not listen. And, you know, you guys know that I do a lot of Fox News hits. I do a lot of Fox News segments, and they generally put me, you know, against the liberal. And one of the liberal talking points right now is basically that as long as Joe Biden didn't say it, this really doesn't represent the party, which is, of course, nonsense. That would be like me saying that if Trump didn't say anything, then it doesn't represent the Republican Party. When you have a vast majority of very far left sitting congressmen and women that have talked about defund the police and that have talked about this for years. And now the Democrats are trying to run away from this and they cannot. 
And they even tried to say that Republicans were defunding the police, and that didn't work. That narrative lasted for about 36 hours, and now they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go on to the to the next talking point here. But it's not working. So rising crime is going to be an Achilles heel for Democrats running into these midterms. Kamala Harris. Kamala is so bad that not even the mainstream media is really pushing her all that much, right? You know, she got the the obligatory Vogue cover. She did this softball with BT News that I actually do have a sock from. I'll get into that in a, bit, in a second. But Kamala has been a major flop. She's been a major disappointment. Even as empty a politician as she is, she's about as empty as Obama was. But at least Obama was attractive, smart, charismatic, and kind of knew how to play the game a little bit. There's a reason why people like me, you know, I was I was a brain-dead lefty. I was obsessed with Obama. I voted for him twice. There's a reason why he was such an easy sell to sell their agenda, because he was actually charismatic and good-looking and all that other stuff. Kamala Harris is not the female Obama because she is not charismatic. She's weird. She's off-putting. Um, she has a creepy laugh. She does nothing. Her big trip to Guatemala was a huge flop. So this is somebody that is so bad that she can't be pushed forward as a de facto leader of the party because we all know that Joe Biden isn't the leader of the party. I mean, this man um, sleeps until 11 a.m. This man doesn't have anything on the schedule most days until 1 p.m. He's working about four hours a day um, at this point. So if Kamala was a stronger candidate, and if she was just better at this, they could be using her to push the same agenda, but she is so bad, and she is this bad, she says dumb crap like this in a softball interview with BET. Now, when you're Kamala Harris, and you go to sit down with BET, Black Entertainment Television, and you sit down with BET, quote-unquote, news, which I guess, you know, former, quote-unquote, journalist Soledad O'Brien is doing stuff with uh, BET News. BET News is pretty much where black journalists who can't really shake it in the mainstream media go to basically just go ahead and and, and be more open about pushing propaganda for for the left. Um, So she's sitting down with an interview with Soledad O'Brien, and this is what she has to say when it comes to voter ID. Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't, there's no Kinko's, there's no Office Max near them. People have to understand that when we're talking about voter ID laws, be clear about who you have in mind and what would be required of them to prove who they are. Of course people have to prove who they are, but not in a way that makes it it almost impossible for them to prove who they are. Okay, so this is about the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my life. So basically, and notice the pivot to rural voters, and, and she's not talking about black voters being stupid anymore. She's trying to make a play. I don't know who she's trying to make a play to. So the idea um, is that, you know, basically, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Rednecks are too dumb to use the Xerox machine. Basically, this is what she's saying. So this is literally how un- thoroughly untalented um, Kamala Harris is as a politician, which is really quite something considering how far she's gotten. And with with Kamala Harris, her ambition 
very much outweighs her talent level. So she's definitely going to be a drain on the Democrats going into 2022 because she can't really be used as a effective surrogate. And, you know, one of the last things, and and you know what, the, the border is going to be an issue for the left, and, and I'll probably get back into that in a later episode because, my God, the border – this crisis just is not stopping. It's just continuing to go. And, and, and it's so deep that, you know, I could do a whole episode on this stuff. Inflation. Inflation is outrageous right now. It is really if you realize, because I realize, because I've seen it coming out of my pocket just in my groceries. And I'm going to give you some numbers about inflation right now under the Biden administration. This is the June Consumer Price Index year over year. I also tweeted this as well. So um, follow me on Twitter at Rob Smith Online if you do not already. Car rentals up 87.7%. Gas prices up 45.1%. Airfare up 24.6%. Hotels up 16.9%. Bacon. I love bacon. Bacon is up 8.4%. Milk up 5.6%. Fresh fish, up 6.4%. This is not building back better. It is making you broker. And the American people see this. Again, people are not stupid. They're certainly not as stupid as these politicians think you are. And people see it. Hell, even in my, my own wallet, I see grocery prices going up astronomically. I see this stuff. So inflation is very real. And so look, you're going to have a lot of voters that go to the rolls next November when we when we have midterm elections, and they're not going to vote for, you know, the left, you know, next year is an election year, so there will probably be uh, BLM riots next summer. I, I know there will be. Um, there won't be any this summer. There'll be BLM riots next summer. It'll happen. It happens uh, every, every election cycle. So they're not going to look at the BLM stuff, and they're not going to look at the identity stuff that the left is pushing, people are not going to be voting based on that stuff anymore. They're going to be voting based on what they see in their own pocket. They're going to be voting based on the fact that their gas prices are up, that their groceries are up, that their food is more expensive, that everything right now is more expensive than it was before. And I will tell you, when it comes to inflation, when it comes to rising crime, and when it comes to the disastrous Kamala Harris those are three main reasons that Democrats are set to lose the House. And I am telling you, I believe that they will. And I believe that 2022 is going to be the jumpstart to what I am predicting is a loss of power for Democrats for a full decade. They're going to be in the wilderness until they get it together. Now, wokeness is also killing the left and Democrats, and I've found the latest outrageous example of what's being taught in college. I will share that with you right after the break. So I, I came across something on, on Twitter that made my skin crawl. I came across this professor at Penn State University um, engaging in, in some of the, the critical race theory stuff. I think this is like some sociology one-on-one class. And before I play this for you, I, I just want to tell you that when it comes to wokeness, when it comes to the, the, the race stuff, when it comes to the CRT stuff, I'm so unbelievably against this. 
I'm so unbelievably anti-woke. And the reason that I am as anti-woke as I am is because I think it's destructive. I lived my life like this for a very long time. I lived my life based on the world was racist, the world was out to get me, all white people hate me, the world is conspiring to get me, I'll never make any money, I'll never do all of this stuff because I'm black, I've got all of this stuff stacked against me because I'm black. I lived like that for a very long time because I was a leftist. I was on the left. This is the mentality that is pushed by the left. This is the mentality that is pushed by people in power. And like we said with the critical race theory stuff, this stuff trickles down to the educational system. I mean, we've been talking a lot about K through 12, but I want you to listen to this example of critical race theory at Penn State University. So this is what's really going on. Listen to this. I just take the average white guy in class, whoever it is. It doesn't really matter, dude. Dude, this guy right here, dude, look, stand up, bro. What's your name, bro? Russell. Russell. This, look at Russell here. Russell has, Sean, this is the, I'm making your argument for you, right? Look at Russell right here. Just doesn't matter what he does. If I match him up with the black, a black guy in class or a brown guy even, but let me just stay with a black guy in class who's just like him, has the same GPA, looks like him, walks like him, talks like him, acts in the similar way, has been involved in the same groups on campus, is it, takes the same leadership positions, does whatever it is. If I match him up against that person, we send him into the same jobs upon graduation. You've all done, he's done everything he's supposed to do, and the person I match him with has done everything he has been supposed to do. He's supposed to do at Penn State, right? They tell you, right? They, do do it, man. Go see your advisors and go do this and go do internships and do. And if you did this, if Russell did the same things, it's just the next person, somebody else I find in this classroom and they go through four years here exactly together. Russell has a benefit of having white skin. Okay. So this is what's going on in universities nowadays. And what I really want to break down, and this is not something that gets enough attention, and this is not something that that enough time is spent on discussing. What do you think that being taught that does to the mentality of black people in this country? So these are, are black and white kids. They're at Penn State University. They're in sociology one-on-one class. First of all, number one, every kid, every kid in that class is among the, one of the more, more privileged groups of society anyway because of the fact that they're getting a college education. This is not something that everybody can afford to do. This is not a, a privilege that is granted to everybody. But now you're black and you're in this class and you're black and you're around some white people or whatever. And so you are being told that purely because of how you were born, because of what you look like, because of what your skin color is, that any single average white person in that classroom is going to have an easier time than you just because they're white. And since you are black, everything is going to be that much harder on you. You are going to be, you're going to face racism. It's going to be harder for you to get a job or an internship and all of that other stuff. I do not like the mentality that that inflicts among people. If you've been around enough black leftists, and trust me, I have, this sort of mentality in this sort of nihilistic uh, and sort of fatalist way of seeing the world infects 
every single thing that they do. And I am telling you, they will post about it on their Facebook. They will make Facebook statuses about some random white woman giving them a look on the street. They will post about some sort of racial, quote unquote, microaggression that they experienced. All of this other stuff. So when this is all you consume day in, day out, and this is what you're being told as a black person that is at the not inexpensive Penn State, by the way. So this is what they're telling you. How is that going to affect the way in which you see the world, the ways in which you deal with the world? It is going to make you angry. It is going to make you negative. It is going to make you fatalist. It is going to engender a sort of hatred of white people. Instead of saying that, yes, this country has been racist in the past. Yes, racism still exists. Yes, maybe things are going to be a little bit harder based on, you know, I didn't have, you know, I came, didn't come from a two-parent background. I didn't have a lot of money or all of that other stuff. But you know what? Like, I'm going to go out here and get it because this is America and there is opportunity for everybody out in these streets. So instead of living your life in that way, this stuff is going to turn so many people into angry, bitter, jaded people. And these are the kind of angry, bitter, and jaded people that add absolutely nothing to American society. They're not creating jobs. They're certainly not building things. They're certainly not creating anything of use. The only thing that these people typically tend to do is to go into the race hustling racket. You know, they tend to, you know, go be anti-racism instructors or they, you know, go the PhD route so they can lounge around academia and, you know, stew in their own juices of, of how racist um, America is forever. But this stuff is not, it's not generating winners, folks. I don't know a winner, somebody who is actually winning in life, as opposed to compared to the people who, you know, make millions of dollars a year peddling this BS. Like, you know, BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors, who has a $3.5 million real estate portfolio. But for the average person, this is insanely destructive. And we never talk about how destructive that mentality is. If the way you see the world is through a lens of absolute victimhood and that the world is conspiring to do nothing but to bring you down, to take you down, to be racist against you, to hold you off from opportunities purely because of the color of your skin. That is the only way the world will respond to you. And what I hate the most and why I'm so thoroughly against critical race theory and all of this far left woke claptrap is because I truly believe that it is destroying a generation of young minds of all colors, but particularly young black minds. This is destroying a generation of black minds. This is destroying a generation of people that could actually be entrepreneurs, that could actually be creators, that could actually be doers. But now, the only thing they want to do is complain about how racist America is. And listen to people like that idiot white liberal professor who's trying to make himself feel good and thinks that, you know, he is saving somebody and he's teaching somebody something, but he's teaching nothing 
but these white kids how to hate themselves and these black kids how to view the world through a lens of nothing but victimhood. It is a joke. And that is why I will always be thoroughly against all of this crap because it destroys minds. And I believe that all the minds out here that are either at Penn State, K through 12, all of that stuff, black, white, Latino, whatever, these minds are worth saving. And this stuff ain't going to do it. Before we go, I want to thank my fellow Problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at RobSmithOnline. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers, Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network.